world building can be as complicated or as simple as your story needs it to be. Mariah Richard. You're listening to Writing Roots, brought to you by Aspen House Publishing. Welcome to Writing Roots. I'm Lee Hull. And I'm Lee Esses. Our question today that we want to cover is one that came from one of our listeners in our Discord channel. It was a very good question that we really wanted to make sure we covered this month. And that is, how do I flesh out my military world building for my spec fic story? The quick answer, I feel like our opener said it best, whatever your story needs, do that. I know that can be a little bit of a difficult answer because it's, okay, well, what does my story need? Only you can answer that question, sorry. But like our advice for any kind of world building, do the level and amount of world building you need to do to write your story. The question did say, how do I flesh out my military? So that's what the rest of this episode is going to be about. Things to consider, questions to answer in order to make sure that your military feels complex, but realistic and robust. First thing that you want to do is to organize the ranks. Figure out if you're going to have multiple branches of military from the head guy, how it breaks down from there. Militaries always have ranks. And ranks define a lot about how your characters will interact with each other. So the sooner your readers can understand how the rank and file works, oh, that person is a three-star general versus this person is a lieutenant, there's going to be a huge difference in how they interact. So the sooner that your readers understand that about your spec fic military, the better they can understand the interactions between characters. Most importantly, keep notes. Write it out, structure it out, if it is important for your story because you don't want to get it confused. You don't want to suddenly shift what one rank means midway through your story. I also highly recommend using similar nomenclature to what people are already familiar with. A lot of the reason for this is to avoid confusion. Like our other episodes about making up words, if you don't need to make up a word for it, don't make up the word for it. So in Star Trek, We know how the rank and file works on any particular spaceship because the captain is in charge of the ship. They use mainly a naval sort of structure because they have admirals and commanders and stuff like that. So if you aren't going with this commonly recognized nomenclature, find a way to make the system easy to recognize. After you've figured out how to organize the ranks and how the person-to-person communication works within your military, next decide how to group them. The biggest thing in this regard is their particular role in the military. Do you have the longbowmen over there? Do you have the air force over here? Do you have the bridge crew over there? I love in this the notes you included bridge four specifically. And with Sanderson's military ranking system, the reason there is a group called Bridge Four is because they are the people who carry the bridges on the way to war. And they help support the infantry and the cavalry. So they're like the lowest of the low, and they happen to be the fourth barrack, the fourth group of the bridges. Keep in mind that in these groups, you're going to have subgroups. Kind of like your rank, where you have multiple different branches of military, 
you're going to have subgroups within those militaries. So you have your army and armies have battalions. All of the things, all of the ranks, all of the groups break down at very similar levels. Keep that in mind. So when you have the army marching behind Alexander the Great, he's got his light cavalry on the sides. That light cavalry has a specific purpose. They are doing a particular thing and they are placed there for a reason. They're a part of the larger whole. Because your shield bearers are going to be able to hopefully block the arrows coming at your ranks. And then you're going to have your pikemen near the front so that when the other army's military charges, you have things to take down the horses. And this transitions smoothly into our next point. Decide on the weaponry that is most common for your military. Every weapon has a purpose. Every weapon was very specifically designed and chosen for each group's specific fighting style. If I told you they are all wielding tower shields, they're not going to be scouts. We can think about the Roman Empire and the shield walls that they were trained to create as part of the military. So think about what each group is doing. You have Viking style fighting where their shields tended to be a little bit more round because they are doing a lot of jumping off ships, going out, charging on foot. So they wanted something mobile, but protective. Every style is different. I could go on forever about weapons. Oh yeah, me too. I'm right there with you. And again, how their militaries are structured, how they choose to fight will make a big difference in what sort of weapons they're going to have. So if you do have a field battle where you know your enemy is going to be charging with horses, you are going to have a line of pikes. You are going to have people who dig those giant pikes into the ground, hold them, and try to hit the horses. One of the best things you can do on a very human level to make your military feel robust and fleshed out and real is to think through the leadership of that military because ultimately it's a human-to-human -human connection. So what does your main character's immediate commanding officer look like? Are they a good leader? These kinds of things will help your readers get a feel for the militaristic world in a very intimate way. Going back to Bridge 4 in the Stormlight Archive... This is one of the reasons why I love how the military is structured in those books. Because we see how much they care about human life by how they run across these chasms. It would be very easy to protect the bridgemen, to give them armor, to give them shields, to have somebody running in front of them to protect them, to ensure that the bridge makes it to the chasm so the cavalry can do their assault. But we see the leadership's priorities because they use bridge crews, unarmored, undefended. They use them as bait so that the archers on the other side of that chasm are not attacking their trained military members. Their priority is protecting their trained military members instead of protecting and making sure they can get a bridge across. Because to them, the lives of the bridgemen are cheap and easily replaceable. 
So we get a really good insight into the leadership, how they treat their military, because the bridge crew is part of the military, compared to a different leader who refuses to use the bridge crews, who only uses the slowest form of basically siege towers that turn into bridges. So your effective leader in your military should have hopefully, dealt with losing troops at some point. They should have a very clear understanding of what each group's role is in the combat at large. They know how to use the longbowmen. They know when to push the pikemen forward versus get people hiding behind the shield wall. They understand all of these different aspects of what each individual group is like, and they know how to communicate with them. A large part of that is knowing this person is in charge of the archers and they're the ones calling ready, aim, fire, all of that. How does the leader telling them fire on these guys, how do they communicate? Do they understand the hearts of the people that they're leading? Are they giving rousing Aragorn speeches in front of Mordor? Or are they lighting a fire behind them and go, okay, the only way is forward, go. How are they an effective leader? I could talk forever about the Stormlight Archive and its structure of military and the good representation of different leadership styles. Because you have the group of leaders that send their bridge crews to die because they're easily replaceable and they're the last across the bridges. And then you have the other guy who, as those siege towers are getting lowered and turning into bridges, They're charging across by themselves so that they themselves can make room for the rest of their army because they have the special armor and the special swords in order to do it. So you see these really good different leadership styles and they are both effective. That's the really interesting part. They are both very effective at what they do, but it's a really good opportunity to show your leader's personality and how good they are. So fleshing out your military starts with understanding how the military is structured, understanding the roles of your point of view character and the characters around them, and understanding how the leadership works. If you can nail those three things, your story will have an effective and fleshed out military that is interesting to the reader. And trust me, if you want good military fantasy writing, go read Stormlight. It's worth it. Militaries can be so fun to write. You have a lot of different things in our world that you can take inspiration from. Go look at Roman militaries, at Persian militaries, at Asian militaries. Go look at all of these historical ones or modern militaries to figure out a good inspiration for your structure. That's really the best place to start. And then write selfishly. If you have a question or comment for our hosts or a topic you'd like us to cover, send us an email at writingroots at aspenhousepublishing.com or find us on Facebook by searching for Aspen House Publishing. <laughs>